0: Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. If you want to turn to First Samuel, and I'll tell you where to go to in a minute, but if you'll start there, and let's just open in prayer. So Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for the opportunity to just share what you placed on my heart. Lord, I help, I pray that you will help me articulate it and that it will glorify your son, Jesus. And in the areas where I don't, Lord, that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, just fill in the blanks. And we just thank you for your faithfulness and goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, I would say that everybody here this morning is probably... In one of two camps, let's say. You are either in the midst of a transition in your personal lives. Maybe you've just come out of a season and you're entering into another one, or you're in the midst of this teeter-tottering of how do I move from this one to the next, or it might be in your spiritual lives. You know that God's calling you to something new, God's you know birthing a new thing in you, and it's sometimes it's a stretching. Um, that happens. And so I would guess that most of us would fall in one of those two camps. And it might be that you're saying, well, yeah, I did come out of a season a long time ago, but I'm not quite sure what the next season is. And it might be that you just haven't been able to quite articulate that. And so what I'm hoping to encourage you in this morning is just to transition well, to let's deal with some things that hold us back from transitioning well. And I'm first going to just want to look at the Word in a couple of examples of men in Scripture who did quite differently in their opportunities to transition. Um, The first one is um, in 1 Samuel 10. Um, What we find here is Saul has been anointed as the king. The future king, and it is now time for him to be presented to the people as king. And in verse 22, it says that, well, he didn't, they looked, they called um, the tribe of Benjamin forward, and that's how they did that in those days. And then they called the family forward, and Saul was nowhere to be found. So they, it says in verse 22 they inquired further of the Lord Has the man not come here yet? And I'm reading this from the New American Standard. And the Lord said, behold, he is hiding himself amongst the baggage. Do we hide amongst our baggage, our past, and those things that weigh us down? And then if you want to jump over to 1 Samuel 17, again, verse 22, we have David, King David, and he has been sent by his father to take supplies and some things to his brothers who are fighting against the Philistines. And it says in verse 22, as David approached, then he left the baggage, again, I'm in the New American Standard, in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line. And he entered and greeted his brothers. Two very different responses to the baggage they are carrying. David couldn't have later in that story fought against Goliath if he was hanging on to those bags. Perhaps Saul had failed to prepare himself for that next transition, for that next season, for that next calling on his life. We want to be a people that we are prepared when God begins to move us into something. We don't have to spend six months, two years preparing ourselves for what God's taking us into. And so what I want to talk through this morning is kind of just some things that— you might be able to access your Heartland, some things, some tools to help you in your personal life. But ultimately, God does care about our past. He wants to bring it to a place of healing, though. He wants to reconcile our thoughts. He wants to reconcile our emotions. But we have to cooperate in that. And sometimes we can think, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to bring that up. There's nothing more amazing than bringing up something in your past and being able to apply the blood of Jesus to it, apply the truth of how he saw it that day to it, and bring yourself to a place of reconciliation. Okay. One more from the scripture. Someone who moved into a new season. First Kings 19, we see Elisha. And he is called by Elijah. And he doesn't just take off and follow Elijah, he actually completely does away with everything that would have held him back. He went and it says he chopped up his plow, he killed the oxen, and he cooked them and fed them to the people. He left nothing of his past for him to go back to. We might say in our layman's terms that Sometimes when we go from season to season, we do things like spring cleaning, or maybe we clean out our closets, or um, even, you know, maybe you decorate your house from season to season. You put away the old season and you get out the new. Change is all around us. Would everyone agree change is all around us? If there's anything we learned in our past few years with covid and whatnot we have to learn to be flexible sometimes and there's change but we have to be able to move with god and where he's leading and not move with our feelings and our emotions they can they are they are very real god gave us our feelings and our emotions but we cannot lead with our feelings and our emotions we have to be led by the spirit but as long as we have those unfinished things in our past it's really hard to be sensitive to the Spirit. We are so blessed here at Heartland. We have some amazing ministries to help with that, so I'm going to put a big commercial in for a couple of them. The first one, I'm sure many of you will know, I'm going to say is Ultimate Journey. Ultimate Journey was huge for me. It was a place where I really came out and with some things that I had kept in my closet for a long time. Some of you know my story, and I'll pick a few pieces of it out as we go along here this morning, but... It was so freeing. Was it easy? No. But you know what? The results and what happened after was amazing and beautiful. Ultimate Journey is a wonderful tool. It's a safe place to deal with your past. We'll be starting it up again, I know, in um, this fall. Watch for it in the announcements, and then they'll have a table in the back and just be a part of that. It's, it really takes you back in any unfinished chapters or unfinished um, just issues in your past. It gives you opportunity to process those um, in a healthy manner. We also have Sozo Ministry, which is through Freedom Ministry. and Liz and Terry are here this morning, and um, they handle that. There's an application that you fill out online. And you, if you're stuck somewhere, we all have, can go through times in our life where we have stuck points, where we're just like, I can't get out of this. And I'm going to share a few of mine this morning with you. But if you find yourself in a stuck point, you know, man, reach out, get some prayer ministry, get some help. Sometimes everybody else can see our blind spot but us. And it's not that we are wanting to point people's blind spots out, but we want to help people move beyond their blind spots so they can be in the fullness of what God's called them to be. And that was really why I took a journey of my own, was I was at a place where it's like, man, I just want more of the Lord. I don't want anything between me and the Lord. And I knew full well that there was some things in my past that I didn't see clearly, and it really was causing my vision and my understanding of what God was saying to me. It was filtering it through a not pure filter because of my past. And some of you might struggle with hearing the voice of God, or maybe you feel like um, you're not sure what God's um, leading you to. It might just be that you just need to clean out that filter. And Ultimate Journey is a wonderful way to clean out that filter, as well as um, our prayer ministry opportunities around here. All right, so in Ecclesiastes, it says, there is a pointed time for everything. Again, a moving from season to season. I don't think I have to quote that as a time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. So I just want to talk about a few emotions. You might say, well, I don't know that I have any stuck points. So I want to maybe highlight what could some of these stuck points look like. For many, there are trust issues. And for some of you, there's very real meaning to not being able to trust people in your past. You've been hurt, and those hurts are very real. But somehow we have to move beyond those. It's not that you invite that person back into your life. I believe in healthy boundaries. But just because you were in a relationship before where someone in the opposite sex was unkind to you doesn't mean that everybody in the opposite sex is bad. And so what happens otherwise, if we have trust issues, we begin to project those issues onto other people. You know, Pastor Davis said it many times here from the pulpit that... You know, so many times if you didn't have that good earthly father, then you project a father, that earthly father, onto God, and God's a good father. So it's so important that we deal with those trust issues, and um, just sitting down and helping, having someone help you walk through that. There again, going through ultimate journey or getting some ministry, prayer ministry is great because trust can be lost in a second but it takes a really long time to regain. And if you are someone that you know you have done something to hurt somebody and cause distrust, I would challenge you to go back to that person and just say, what do I need to do to regain your trust? And that reconciliation is what God wants. It's not easy always. Always. But we need to be able to understand the other person to help them gain that trust again. Another thing, confusion. If you struggle with confusion, it might be that you need to, have, you need to get in get some ministry to move on to that next season. Fear, anxiety, um, guilt. If you're feeling guilty um, about something, first of all, I hope you have confessed it that to the Lord. But if it's something that just lingers with you, that you, that you feel you ha- can't get beyond, it might be you're having a hard time um, forgiving yourself. But guilt is a very real thing. And guilt is to the conscience what pain is to the body. And it has to be addressed. It has to be worked through. And guilt is feeling bad about what you are. Shame is feeling bad. No, guilt is feeling bad about what you've done. And shame is feeling bad about what you who you are, and it's a good thing to be able to recognize that. Am I just feeling bad about who I am? Is this shame from what I did, or do I still feel guilty about what I did? Another one that we need to deal with is anger. Um, Several months ago, I shared um, a message on anger and forgiveness. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I think there's enough people That probably haven't heard it. That I need to just touch on a couple of things. Anger is a very real, very powerful emotion. It's a God-given emotion. We read about God's anger in the Old Testament, plenty, and even some in the New Testament. Um, When two people were killed um, because they lied, there was real anger from God there. So, anger is a very powerful emotion, and it doesn't just go away. It has to be addressed. Sometimes I think in Christian circles, we think, oh, anger, you know, I can't be angry. Angry is a bad thing. And yeah, usually our right anger does not look very righteous. Many times our anger is not godly anger at all. But the word is clear. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And anger has to be addressed. So how do we address anger? Well, we have to get in touch with that emotion. And that can be scary because for a lot of people, anger looks like rage. Anger looks very scary and dangerous. And what happens if you don't deal with anger, though, is those, there's trigger points. And that anger will come out in rage. And it can be very damaging to those that you love the most. So dealing with your anger is important. And I'm, I'll just real quick touch on a couple of ways you can deal with your anger. And that is write a letter to the person you're angry at that you never, ever plan to give to them. Let me say that again. You write a letter to the person you're angry with that you never plan to give to them. But what that allows you to do through the pen in your hand is get in touch with that anger. Now, don't stop just because you start to feel emotional, because that's what you need to feel is that anger so that you can move beyond it. If that doesn't work for you, um, in counseling, we have a technique called the empty chair technique. And basically you sit in an empty chair and you have an empty one across from you and you imagine that person you're angry with is sitting in that chair. And again, you begin to talk to them. Now what you put in this letter and what you say to that person in the chair might sound something like this. Dear, fill in the blank. You may have no idea how much you hurt me when you did this, but this is how you made me feel. And just begin to lay it all out. You have got to get in touch with those thoughts, those feelings, and those emotions. Or they are just like the beach ball that you're holding down under the water. And for where God wants to take you in the next season, that has to be addressed and dealt with. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a huge thing. We've heard a lot about forgiveness here at Heartland over the last several months. Even with deliverance, you know, unforgiveness gives the enemy a foothold in your life. Unforgiveness—I mean, it's—it's not an—it's not an option to stay there. But forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's and forgiveness, unforgiveness, is not an option if you want to live a joy-filled life. Holding unforgiveness and bitterness against someone is like swallowing poison and hoping it affects them. But you're the only one that it's really affecting. Unforgiveness also says, okay, God, you can't handle this, so I'm going to stay. I'm not going to forgive them because if I release them, they may not get the judgment I think they deserve. Who's the most righteous judge? We are not. (laughs) So, but forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. And so what happens if you forgive, you say, Lord, I'm choosing to forgive, but you're still feeling like, oh, I still feel like I'm mad at them. It might be you need to go back to that anger thing we just talked about because there's some unfinished business there that you need to deal with addressing the anger that you have towards that person through a letter or through the, the empty chair technique. One additional thought on forgiveness. So, many times, like I said, we, we, cho- we say, I choose to forgive, Lord, I choose to forgive. How many of you have gone through where it's like, I'm choosing again today to forgive. Why do I feel like I'm not forgiving? It's because it is that feeling. And so, Um, this was an interesting thing I read here recently, and I just love it, but a lady had been through a, a situation where her husband had committed adultery, and she was really struggling with different pieces of forgiving him, even though the relationship was being reconciled. And so what she did is she began? She wrote on little index cards these different emotions and different words that described her feelings towards her husband at the time. Even though she was saying, Lord, I choose to forgive, but I'm still feeling, feeling this, and I'm feeling this, and I'm feeling that. And she wrote them all on cards. And then she took some red felt and she said, Lord, whatever my feelings don't allow for, I cover it with the blood of Jesus. And I thought, wow, just hearing that makes me feel better about everything. (laughs) You know, whatever my feelings aren't ready to embrace or what my feelings aren't able to feel, I want to cover that with the blood of Jesus. That's like saying, you know, Lord, you forgave me. You've covered me with your blood. So I'm just saying right now, with that same grace, I am covering these feelings with the blood of Jesus. And if you do that enough, man, eventually that little stack of cards is gonna get smaller and you're gonna find yourself forgiving that individual. And I always say one of the best signs that you have really forgiven somebody is when you can say, Lord, I bless them. Lord, I ask that you prosper them. Lord, I ask that you um, give them you know, gifts, Lord, that you would bless them in their ministry, whatever it might be. But that's where we want to get to in forgiveness, is that we're no longer saying things like, oh, if people only knew, or "Oh, how could they? But we're saying, no, Lord, I bless them. I ask that your goodness be upon them. Another thing with transitioning from season to season is, is grief. And... Um, This really encompasses a lot of areas, and I'm going to spend a a little extra time here, because there is grief with the loss of a loved one, and that's a very real, real thing. Um, Grief is the expression of deep sorrow and sadness. It stems from the loss of someone or something you value and love. Grief looks different to everyone. It can be intense, but it's a natural reaction to an absence of a loved one the end of a season, or unfulfilled dreams, expectations, or desires. So when we think about grief, I'm sure most of us think about just this heavy, weighty sadness. And, you know, as we read in Ecclesiastics, there's a time to cry and there's a time to laugh. And we should be concerned if we are laughing when we should be crying or if we are crying when we should be laughing. Sometimes, We just need to stop back and step back and do a little self-inventory. What am I really feeling? What is going on under the hood? I thought about all the different times in our life where we walked through grief. And one of them um, was mine personally. So for those of you that don't know, I have a ministry called Restored by Grace, and I minister to women who have had abortions. And the question always comes up when I tell someone what I do. They said, oh, where did that come from? Well, it came from my own personal story. As a 16-year-old girl, I made the horrible choice to have an abortion, um, something I regret deeply. But as I've been through a journey... Of healing, I came to a point where I really had to grieve that little girl I lost. And grief looks different for everybody. It's not this nice little tied package with a bow, it looks different for everybody. And we have to be careful when we're walking alongside somebody who is grieving that we don't try to tell them how they are to grieve because their way might be different than ours, but their way isn't wrong. And the only thing we do when we tell them they're not doing it right is. We heap shame and condemnation on them. So we need to be very sensitive to how everybody grieves differently. There's, there's five steps to grief, and they can come in all different orders. But for me, when I was grieving my little girl, and I know it because the Lord revealed that to me, that she was a little girl, I didn't just grieve that I had lost this baby, which is a huge loss, but I grieved that I didn't get to teach her, her ABCs. I had to grieve that I didn't get to take her to her first day of school. Later on, I had to grieve that I didn't get to see her graduate from high school and get married and have children. Those were all things that were supposed to happen, but they didn't. That's the natural course of life. It really concerns me when someone has a miscarriage and we say, I shouldn't say we, it's more maybe a, maybe a doctor or somebody might say, well, there's probably a good reason that you lost it and it's probably for the best. That's really a hard pill to swallow. And I'm not saying all doctors are this way, but I've worked with enough women that I know that they have heard these things. That was a very real life that that when we became aware of the pregnancy that that person, that family wanted and all of a sudden there's a change there's, they've got to grieve that thing so grief is a very real thing and sometimes we think we have to be strong and not grieve when what we really need to do is go back and grieve those, that loss so we have grief over death that we, need to, we have to grieve. I think that's probably the one of the most obvious to us. But there's a lot of others. There's grief over um, divorce. Whether a person is supportive of the divorce or not, we find that it's still something that has to be grieved. The day they said, I do, there was hopes and dreams and hoping for a happily ever after. But that wasn't the way it worked. And we have to grieve the ending of that season and going into the new. There's jobs losses. There's career, you know, things with our, maybe our hopes for our career that change. There's business failures, all these things that we have to grieve. There's some things that we recently have walked through, and that was our kids leaving home. I used to think oh, it'd be great when we're empty nesters. You know what? I had no idea how difficult that transition would be. For those of you that haven't faced it yet with your kids, I'm just going to share a couple things to hopefully help prepare you for that. Our oldest is our son and he actually I think left home last. But that was supposed to be funny. <laughs> oh, I'm, this is too serious. Let's have fun. Um, now, he's a great kid, but he was, he was in town or in and out of our, our basement for a, a long time. Matter of fact, he moved back into our basement when our youngest was a senior in high school. And she said, wait a second. I'm supposed to have you all to myself. Why is he back here? But anyway, so when our second child, our oldest daughter, went to college, she went to Olathe, Kansas. And I remember when I packed up her room and went back upstairs to make sure we had gotten all the boxes, looking in her room, and my heart just sank. I thought, I'm never, we're never going to have this nice little knit family again. It's changing forever. And we took her to college, and when we left college after the orientation weekend, I got in the car and I just bawled. But I, I had to grieve the passing of seasons. And sometimes, there again, we think we have to be strong, but we need to feel those emotions. And, um, oh my goodness, I had no idea until <laughs> our youngest got married. And um, she married a wonderful man from Canada. So guess where they live? <laughs> Canada. And they got married in July, finished their last semester of college, and we moved them to Canada in January. Oh, what a crazy time to go to Canada. But um, John and I left early on a Sunday morning to drive back home, and we got in the car and we sobbed for miles and miles. And for our two day drive home, We'd talk about it occasionally, and we just cry again. And it wasn't just that we were moving her to Canada. It was, the, it was some dreams, you know? For me, it was this dream of, I wanted to be this grandma one day that was at every program, every sporting event, whatever the kids were involved in, I wanted to be there and be a part of that as a grandma. For John, it was a dream of, You know, he and Rachel had a a little hobby farm together, and it was his dream that the two of them would grow that and that it would be something that they would do for years together. And those are things that we all— there's things in all of us that we have to grieve. Some of you are transitioning into marriage. Don't grieve your past. It's a better thing you're going into. But at the same time, it's different. And sometimes we just need to remember to invite God into our transition. When we got back from taking our daughter to Canada, I didn't realize the place that I was so stuck in. And for months, I just felt not myself. I've never struggled with depression before. But I think looking back, I might have had some of that. And I finally recognized, I just need to talk to somebody about this. And I reached out to someone that knows my stuff. She was actually my phase one ultimate journey facilitator. And I said, I just need to get together and talk. And let me just say... All of us need to be okay with calling someone up and say, hey, I'm struggling and I just need to talk. And I want to address the men because I think sometimes, and women too, but I think the men are more prone to it. We think, oh, that might be a sign of weakness. I want to tell you that's a sign of strength. That's a sign that you have some self-awareness And that you recognize something is not well here, and I need to work this out. And by going and talking to somebody and getting the help you need, it's actually gonna make you stronger. It's humility, (laughs) and it makes us stronger. Especially if it's godly counsel, because it's not only going to make you stronger in your home, it's going to make you stronger in your faith, and it's going to propel you forward. Okay. I knew we'd get out early this morning, but I'm not done yet. But I was just looking at the clock thinking, boy, we are going to get done early. Sometimes, I just want to add a couple more things on grief. Sometimes grief can make someone feel like they're going crazy. And you might think, wow, that's a pretty bold statement. But I have to look back and think about, in the garden, we had Adam and Eve. And sin, their sin, brought death. What if they hadn't sinned? Well, obviously one of us probably would have, but how much of Adam and Eve were created for that emotional feeling too of grief and death? It's a very complicated feeling to feel and I think part of it is because that wasn't ever God's original plan. And so we have to have brothers and sisters come alongside us. You know what? I think as a family and as a body of Christ, we need to also be sure when there are those amongst us that have lost a loved one, a card in the mail does so much good. And I realize postage stamps aren't cheap, but they aren't expensive. (laughs) A text to someone, hey... I just want to let you know I'm so sorry. Sometimes I think we avoid the conversation when we know someone's struggling. My dear mother lost her mom when she was only nine years old in a car accident. And she has shared with me how when she was able to finally return to school, that the teacher had told all of the students, don't say anything to her about it. And so many times we think that that's the, you know what, if I don't bring it up with them, maybe, you know, I don't want to hurt their feelings. When sometimes talking and processing our loss is what we really need to do. And here at Heartland, we talk about a family. So let's be sure that when we know someone's struggling, whether it's because they've lost a loved one, or we know they lost a business, or we know that they're just going through a tough time, we recognize that God is transitioning them into a new season, let's be a family. Let's reach out and say, hey, I just want you to know, I'm praying for you. I'm here if you need to talk. And let's be people that when we recognize we're struggling, let's not stay in our stuck point. Let's reach out for help. We have a wonderful staff that can help you. We have wonderful elders that are able to help you. And we, you know what, there are times where we say, you know what, we want to encourage you to get some good family counseling, and we have some wonderful counseling agencies that we refer people to. So don't be afraid to reach out and get some help. Every time we go through a new season, though, there is a learning curve with it. And with every new season we transition into, there are war stories. But you know what? As hard as you might think those war stories are going to be, I can tell you from my own personal experience that on the other side, I look back and I think, that was absolutely beautiful. Because God brings beauty to ashes. And so the thing that you think is so ugly that what can God do with this, the thing you think is so ugly, and I'm embarrassed to tell anybody about this, the thing that is, you think is so ugly that you think it should just be kept a secret. God wants to take that and make it beautiful. It becomes a testimony of his goodness. Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I am going to do something new. Now it will spring up. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He says, will you not be aware of it? How aware of it are we that he is transitioning us? Here at Heartland, we've seen some amazing things happen in the recent months. He's transitioning us. How many of you want to be a part of it? Yeah? Well, I can tell you, if you're going to be a part of it, then you're part of the transition as well. That the transition's going to happen in your life. What are you doing to prepare yourself for where God's leading you in this next season? What are you doing to prepare yourself for how he wants to use you? For some of you, it might just be a fresh surrender. You know, maybe you just become preoccupied and God's saying, I want to reorganize your priorities. (laughs) For some of you, it might be, um, you know what? God wants me to look at going on a missions trip next time and what do I need to do to prepare myself for that? What do I need to do to get some ministry training? But he wants us to know the season that we're in. Several years ago, I think it was about 2005. Um, John and I again were going through a, a, a transitional season in our lives. We were actually trans- we are coming into this new building too. We moved into this building in September of 2005. And about that same time, I don't know how many are here that remember this, but Pastor Dave said, we're gonna, we're gonna do a call to the wall 24-7 until Jesus comes. We're gonna have somebody praying all hours of the night. And um, we don't do that anymore. It was more than we realized. It was a big lift. It was, I think it, it served its time for that season, but you basically, people signed up for two-hour shifts sometime during the week. But 24-7, there was somebody that signed that had signed up that was praying. And it was he kind of took it from this book called A Call to the Wall, which is a great book if you haven't read it. So I don't know why, but I signed up for 4 to 6 a.m. on Thursday morning. I am somewhat of a morning person, but I'm more of a morning person than a night person. But um, I get up. Um, some we started out, actually, the person that was passing the baton to you would call you or text you. And we finally said, oh, we don't need to do that. We might wake up the whole house and those sorts of things. But anyway, so I would be up from 4 to 6 on Thursday mornings. And I tell you what, a lot of mornings, I didn't feel much of anything except for maybe wanting to feel my pillow again. But um, we were just, John and I were just going through a, a season where there had been some things happen with a a business that we had um, ag- agreed to support and be a part of that was just, um, we were really grieving some things. And I was just, I felt like those mornings I was just like, Lord, I don't know what's going on. I'm not even feeling you here. I'm not sure why I'm up this early. Why did Pastor Dave say I have to do this from now till Jesus comes and, and all those things. And um So in one morning, the Lord took me um, to a passage in Hosea, and it's Hosea 2, 14 and 15. Therefore, behold, I'm going to persuade her. One version says, I'm going to lure her into the desert, and there I will speak to her kindly, and I will give her her vineyards from there and make the the valley of Accor as a door of hope. The word akor is translated trouble. And some of you are in a season of transition and it's very intentional of the Lord. It's always intentional of the Lord. But part of it was he wants to take you into that desert season because it's there that he wants to speak to you tenderly. Again, we think a desert is not a fun place to be. But if we just open our eyes and ears and invite the Lord into that transition, he is there and he wants to speak to us tenderly. His word tells us that. And in that, he's going to take what you thought was a valley of trouble and he's going to present to you a door of hope. And what happens when we open the door called hope? Hope we begin to take what the enemy intended to bring harm in our lives and transform it into our future hope. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.